Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Good morning. We're glad you're here. And uh, we are uh, jumping right in. We've got uh, had a little rain today. Noticed we were, we were going to have groundbreaking uh, for cele- uh, celebration for our uh, new uh, multi-purpose uh, student uh, facility, and uh, but we realized it would be a mud breaking today. So uh, I thank all the students. We just brought you guys in here. Where are you? Stand up really quick. Middle and high school students. Yeah, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Yes, yes. Glad you guys are. Uh, glad you guys are here. Whether you are the leader of a family, or the leader of a team at work, or the leader of a uh, of, a, of an academy, a school, a business. Uh, we are told, we are taught that in all organizations and in all relationships, uh, we are encouraged to make uh, expectations crystal clear. Is that clear? Okay. We're to make expectations crystal clear. I mean, every, uh, every, every management uh, instructor or uh, professor or management book that's written, anyone dealing with people say, well, whoever's relating to you uh, or whoever uh, you are supervising, uh, if anyone is, is going to be serving alongside of you, your communication, you need to make crystal clear uh, the, the expectations. And uh, that's pretty good advice. So if that's true, and I believe it is, then a legitimate question for me If you are a follower of Jesus, you've already committed your heart and life to Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been born again. You've been saved. You're a Christian. Uh, However your tradition describes that, you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're a member of the Dogwood Church family, you're a member or you're a regular attender even, a legitimate question for me would be this. Pastor, precisely what does God want me to do? Is that fair? Wouldn't that be, is that a good question? That's a good question. Pastor, what does God want me to do? Precisely, get crystal clear with me. What am I to be? Will you simply tell me what's expected of me? Well, the answer to that question, or if we were able to answer that question, what we would be doing is defining your mission, defining your life purpose, defining your life Uh, your life mission. And and it's a very interesting thing about followers of Jesus, very interesting thing about Christians. They all have the same life mission. You have the same life mission. Uh, I began our chapter 2 series one month ago with describing the Dogwood Church mission. And we kind of retold that and unpacked that. Can anybody tell me what it is? Dogwood Church exists to mumble in worship. That's it. That's us. That's us. Now, that's not fair. Nobody can do that in the crowd. Take a look at it on the screen and let's say it out loud. Here it is. Dogwood Church exists, here we go, to love God and love people while making more and better followers of Christ. Now, sometimes we put the tagline on there here and around the world just to remind us of our scope of responsibility. So the, um, the tendency for us 
I don't know if it's true in every church, but the tendency for us in our church is to assume that, yeah, that's, that's, you know, I belong to this entity, I belong to this organization, I belong to this institution called Dogwood Church, and the reason it over there exists is to love God and love people while making more and better followers of Christ. And we, f- we forget that we're the church. Church are us. I mean, we're it. We're the, we're, we're the church. This organization, in a sense, does get that done, but the way it gets done is the components, the individual components of the, of the church do that. And that's people. Because remember, we are the church, not this campus, not this building. You understand that, don't you? In fact, I really wish you would change your language and never say something is happening at Dogwood Church. It's impossible. Nothing can happen at Dogwood Church. Something's going to happen at Dogwood Church. We have to blow it into about 2,600 pieces and be with every one of us wherever we are. It can happen at the Dogwood Church campus. My little Pentecostal grandmother, I, the longer I live, the more I realize what a good theologian she was. Never finished school. She had her theology right. And she would say, our church is meeting tomorrow. That's good. And so where are you meeting? At the meeting house. That's pretty good. We might should we might should change this. This is the meeting place of the church. You're it. We're it. So uh, we are the ones that actually fulfill uh, the mission. And, and your life mission is the same mission as the church. I might say it this way. Take a look at the screen. Your life mission, the reason God puts you on the planet, the reason He left you here. You know, He left you here for a purpose. Uh, Once you came to faith in Christ Jesus, the reason He didn't just say, Oh, good, we got you, come on to heaven. The reason He left you here is there's something He needs for you to do, wants for you to do. Sorry, it's not really ever accurate to say God needs anything. He doesn't need us, but He uses us. He left you here for a purpose, and it is this. You, you exist. Your life mission is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. As many people as you can, every way you can, for as long as you possibly can. Love God and love people. Make more followers of Christ. Influence as many people as possible to come to faith in Christ and to make better followers of Christ, to help those who are followers of Jesus grow closer to Him relationally, grow up in Christ, become more like Him, and serve His purposes. You exist. Your life mission is to love God and love people, to make more followers of Christ and better followers of Christ. Every Christ follower has the same life mission. Now, you have different names, and you have different personalities, and you have different spiritual gifts and natural talents and abilities. You have different personalities. You have uh, different vocations, uh, careers, jobs, callings. You have different hobbies. You have different interests. You live in different places. You have um, uh, different ministries, even, internally and externally uh, in the name of Christ. But you all have the same life mission. We all have the same life mission, and it's the same mission that, that uh, every disciple of Christ has had from the day that Jesus called the twelve, is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourself, influence as many people as possible to come to Christ, and help as many of them as possible to grow up in Christ. That's it. 
That's why you are here. It would be a tragedy to if you lived out your whole life expectancy to mid-70s and if with God's blessing maybe to 85 uh, years old and do a whole lot of things but never get in never get clear on this and never do never do this this is why you're here ultimately fundamentally this is the big deal this is why we are here now that is what God wants you to do that is what God wants us to do now I want to spend a little bit of time this morning speaking to you about uh, your life mission and how to live it on mission. How to live your life intentionally on mission, on, uh, on mission, on purpose. Live on purpose. Live intentionally. Get up every day thinking, okay, here's here's the big four. I'm going to love God, love people, make more followers of Christ, make better. Let me get intentional about that. Let me maximize every opportunity, every moment, uh, every platform that I that I have. I want to talk to you about a piece of that. Not all of that, but just a piece uh, of this. Because as we turn the chapter to page 2, chapter 2, of the next 25 years of the Dogwood Church family, well, just frankly, we got to pick up the pace. we got to pick it up. We've got to ramp it up. we got to get way better at this mission than we've been. I mean, I'm not going to kick into the what I call ain't it awful preaching. You know, let's talk about the country, ain't it awful. Let's talk about the town, ain't it awful. Let's talk about the this and that, ain't it awful. We all know it's awful, don't we? I mean, wouldn't you say that our culture is in trouble? It was interesting in the first service, this guy's side always got the answers, right? And this one was quiet, and it's starting out again that way. Isn't it, wouldn't you say that our culture is in trouble? Yeah, humor me. Yeah, we're in trouble. We got to pick up the pace because as we sang in that song, the church is the hope of the world because Jesus is the hope of the world. I mean, if we want a better culture, there's a lot of things we can do. But if you want a better America, we're never going to have a better America until we have better Americans. You want to make America better? Love Jesus more. Become more like Him. It'll get that much better. And the more people who know and love Jesus and turn into people who love God and love people, the better the better this place is going to be. Uh, we've got to pick up the pace. There are many people living in darkness. And uh, so let me talk to you about living out your life mission. Uh, here's the phrase I want you to think about, being on mission, being on mission. And one of the ways, this is just one of the ways that you can live your life on mission is by identifying people who need Jesus and inviting them to meet Him. Identifying people who need Jesus and inviting them to meet Him. Let me give you four great examples from the Scriptures. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, a hard copy or a a digital copy on your smartphone or your iPad or such, turn to the Gospel of John, fourth book in the New Testament, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, uh, fourth book in the New Testament, chapter 1, and go down to verse 35. Here's the setting. It is at the very beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. It is the day after John the Baptist, that that odd prophetic figure who was the cousin of Jesus, who was sent by God to prepare the way of the Lord. It's the day after he had first identified publicly Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 35, the next day, John... 
Now, this is John the Baptist, not John the disciple who's actually writing these words. The next day, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I love this phrase, come and you'll see. Or in most of the translations it says, come and see. Do this with me. Let me see. Come and see. Come and see. Just remember, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about 10 in the morning. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John, John the Baptist, and followed him, Jesus. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Anointed One, and he brought him to Jesus. Okay, here's how this works. Here's how this works. Andrew and John were disciples of John the Baptist who pointed them to Jesus. Jesus invited them to come and see where he was staying and what he was teaching. Andrew then found his brother Peter and invited him to come and see the Messiah for himself. Andrew brought Peter to the place, and there he met Jesus for himself. Next example, pick it right back up, same story. Next verse, verse 43. The next day, he, referring to Jesus, decided to leave for Galilee. They were in Judea, uh, in Palestine. Judea was the southernmost region in Palestine. Palestine was sandwiched between the Jordan River, the De- Jordan River and the Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea, and the Mediterranean Sea. So sandwiched right there. Judea, Samaria, Galilee. He decided to go to uh, leave for Galilee, which was his home region. Jesus found Philip and told him, "Follow me." Now. This phrase was a phrase used by the Jewish rabbis that was a formal invitation to come, be, enter into a discipleship learning uh, relationship with me. Follow me. Be with me. Learn from me. Learn about spiritual things from me. So it wasn't just a, hey, you want to come along. It was a follow me. And Philip did. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. It's interesting to me that many of these disciples, men who changed the world, were from all from the same little no-name town on the backside of Palestine. He's like saying, wow, the men that changed the world are from Buchanan. I mean, just all that, that had just, he called them right out of this little place. Uh, Philip found Nathanael, evidently a friend, and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, Nathanael was skeptical and a little bit negative in his, in his personality. He says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, we, we, when we think of Nazareth, you know, we think of the Christmas story and Mary and Joseph and the angels showing up to Mary and, Oh, Nazareth, it's this beautiful little poetic town. no. It was a great place to be from. It had a bad reputation. And uh, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What are you talking about? Now, he was, must have been quite a joy to his people around him. How many of you love to be around skeptical, cynical, negative people? You just loved it. Yeah, me too. 
me too. Well, anyway, Philip approached his skeptical friend and Philip answered by saying, what? Come and see. Come and see. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said this about him. Here is a true Israelite. No deceit is found in him. It's interesting. You know, Jesus sees our motives. He sees our heart. He, he knew, what Nathaniel, knew what was in Nathaniel's heart. He said, this is not a, what, he said, Nathaniel's a guy, what you see is what you get. If it's on the outside, it's what's on the, on the inside. He, he knows our motives, which means if, if you're trying to pick up that job right now, it's already taken. Do you spend your time judging everybody else's motives? Well, I know why you did that. There's one thing you, for certain you don't know. I know why they did it. Well, they're only doing that because, eh, busted. You're judging. Here, here's, write this down. Stop it. Stop it, stop it. Stop. That job's already taken by one who actually can do it. Um, let's let him judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, do you believe that you have the spiritual gift of correction? You don't. Uh, so you can relieve yourself of that burden and you can actually relieve the rest of us. Uh, Jesus already has that. He saw Nathaniel's motives. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked before? And Jesus said, before Philip called you when you were under a, the fig tree, I saw you. Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus responded to him, do you believe only because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You're going to see greater things than this. Nathaniel followed Jesus. Here's what happened. Jesus found Philip. Philip followed Jesus. Philip found his friend Nathaniel and invited him to come and see. Come to the place where you can meet Jesus yourself. Nathaniel responded to that invitation and he did meet Jesus himself. The, the runaway all-time world champ, Super Bowl champion of inviters is found in the Gospel of John you pages over to the right, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Just turn there really quickly. And you find that it's, it's the Samaritan woman that Jesus met at the well. The story goes this way very quickly. Jesus and His disciples determined that once again they needed to travel from the south in Judea through Samaria to Galilee. And so as they were going through Samaria, which was a big deal because the Jews didn't relate to the Samaritans, uh, at all. They didn't like each other. There's great racial, political, and religious prejudice between uh, the two. Very hostile, very ugly. Jesus stopped at the heat of the day at a, at a well outside of a town named Sychar, and a woman was came in the, in the heat of the day by herself to get water. We speculate that because uh, she was a woman with a past and a bad reputation, she didn't like to come and gather when the social gathering of the other women in town were coming to get water because of the hard time they gave her, being shunned, being judged, being rejected. It's just too painful. And so Jesus is resting there, and as she approached, Jesus asked her for a drink of water, which was shocking. She said, why are you a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan? And a woman, because Jews didn't relate to the Samaritans, and they, the, and Jewish rabbis did not address women in public, other than their spouse. And so, Jesus engaged her in conversations about the spiritual life and about living water, 
And she was pretty much of a smart aleck back and forth with him, and he would just overlook that and keep going on. And then uh, when he, he pointed out to the fact that she was living an immoral lifestyle, kind of very graciously did so, and she said, oh, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she threw out a philosophical, theological uh, debate issue, which is what many of us do when God's getting a little too close to us and we want to deflect the conversation away from us. Long story short, Jesus revealed Himself to her as the Messiah, and she believed Him. And she ran back in town, back into the village of Sychar, and says she invited everybody in town. What? What did she say? Come and see. She said, come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And they came and they stayed two days with him and he taught them about himself in the kingdom of God. And at the end there, about in verse 39 of chapter 4, they said to her, now, we not only believe, we not only believe because you said so, we believe because we have heard for ourselves and we believe. Now, here's what happened. Jesus had a random encounter with this woman at the well, spoke to her about spiritual things. She came to believe in Jesus herself and ran back into town and invited everyone, apparently, to come and see for themselves. They came to the place where Jesus was, was and they met Him for themselves. One more story, one more great example. Uh, Matthew and his friends. Turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Turn to the left a few pages, back to chapter 5 of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 27. This is the story of Matthew, or Levi, who was a tax collector. There, were, there was no group in the culture more despised, more greatly despised by the Jewish people than the tax collectors. For they were Jewish as well, but they had, a, they had abandoned loyalty to their own people, had gone to work for the occupying Roman government, representing Rome, collecting mandatory taxes from the occupied people. And the way they got paid was, uh, Rome would say, we need this amount of taxes from this community. Anything that you can collect by hook or by crook, above and beyond this, you get to put in your own pocket. And they said, okay. They loved money more than they loved anybody else, their family, their people, their God. And uh, they were hated by the by their Jewish neighbors. Jesus finds in verse 27 a tax collector named Levi, or Matthew as we know him, sitting at the tax office and he said to him, here's that invitation, follow me. You follow me. I'm inviting you to enter into a discipling relationship with me. Believe on me. Learn of me. And, and Matthew, here's one statement of a massive conversion, leaving everything behind. He, Michael, he just left it. He, he turned his back on all that stuff, all that sin, all that greed, all that materialism, all that uh, unfaithfulness, and he left it and followed Jesus. Uh, he got up and followed him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him, Jesus, at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with him. But the Pharisees and their scribes, this was the very, very religious conservatives of the day, were complaining to the disciples of Jesus, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replied, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Jesus found Matthew, invited him to follow him. Matthew followed Jesus and evidently was a great party planner. He was, some, of you, some of you are really great at hospitality. You are, aren't you? You're great party planners. You love to have people over. You love to throw parties. You love to throw cookouts. You love to have people over for dinner. Don't abandon that. Use it like Matthew. We call them Matthew parties. He threw his own Matthew party and he invited, and who did, he invited all of his friends. Well, they were all far from God people. Nobody else would relate to him. And he had Jesus there, and they came and they met Jesus for themselves. That's the way it works. That's the way this living life on mission works. Uh, people find Jesus for themselves. Then they identify people who need Jesus and invite them to a place where they can come and see Jesus for themselves. People respond to those invitations, meet Jesus, place their faith in Him, and then everything changes in this life and the next. They live life on mission and fulfill their life mission. Andrew, Philip, the woman at the well, Matthew became people of great influence uh, in the lives of others by identifying them and by extending influential invitations. Magnificent. Magnificent. The gospel moves along lines of relationship. Andrew invited his brother, his immediate family member, that relationship. Philip invited his friend, Nathaniel, along the lines of that relationship. The Samaritan woman invited almost every line of relationship she had. Friends, neighbors, her live-in boyfriend, ex-husbands, the people even who despised her and ostracized her and judged her. She invited the whole town. Matthew invited his colleagues his co-workers, relationships. The gospel, the good news moves along lines of relationships and you can fulfill your life mission along those same lines. You can fulfill your life mission along those same lines. So, so where do you identify these people? In three realms, write this down. Ready? One. Where you live, work, and play. Where you live, work, and play. You live in a house with an immediate family. Well, write down their names. You live on a street with neighbors on either side and, and three across the road from you at least, probably. Well, write down their names. You live in a, in a neighborhood with a neighborhood association full of people. Well, who are those people? Write down their names. We'll say, well, I don't know their names. Well, find out. Find out. It's, it's, it's easier today to find out the names of your neighbors than ever before. But a real novel thing is like walk over and introduce yourself. And, and get to know them, you know, get to, get to know them. Change the culture. Change the atmosphere, as we sang earlier. You work. You work at a job where there are people. Write down the names of those people. You work on a team. Write down the name of those team members. You work in a department. You work in a division. Dogwood, let's just, let's just talk about us, our family. It's just doors are closed, just the Dogwood family for a couple of minutes here. Uh, the world is, we work all kinds of places. I'm just, just, God gave you your job so that you could live life on mission to the people on your job. And, and uh, well, let me ask it this way. How many of you are here whose work sometimes takes you out of the country? Raise your hand really quick. You sometimes work out of the country. Yep, yep. We had massive numbers in the other service too. 
How many of you work at a job that sometimes takes you out of the state of Georgia consistently? Yeah, look, all over the place, all over the place. How many of you work at a job that takes you out of Fayette and Coweta County? Yeah, yeah. Wow, don't you see? Providentially, God, God sends this, the members of this congregation to the ends of the earth every week. There, there are those of you in this service today that I happen to know, you flew in from other countries to be here to meet with your church family today. It happens every week, right? Yeah, you did. You were somewhere else, other side of the world. Those, God providentially has arranged for your company to pay your missionary expenses to go to the ends of the earth and minister to the people there. Well, I thought that's kind of cool in myself. God's quite efficient. Quite efficient. Who are those people? You may be the only ambassador for Christ, the representative of the missionary that's going to Dubai next week, or Manila, or London, or Vidalia. Sometimes below the net lines, another country. Right? <laughs> How many of you from below the net line? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, bless you. I see those. Hands were doing this. Okay. Okay, but, but think of those people. now. And where you play. Who are the people who play where you play? You play golf. Some of you play tennis. Some of you go to the theater and you have season tickets at the symphony. Some of you got season tickets at a stadium somewhere in the southeast to some sporting event, some college, university, uh, or professional team. Who are the people that sit around you? Who are the people that tailgate with you? Who are the people who play where you play? Some of you coach your kids' soccer team and your, your kids' uh, baseball and football and basketball team. Well, who are the other people that coach with you and the parents of those children? They are, write down their names. The realms are where you live and work and play. That's where you live out this mission of identifying people who need Jesus and inviting them to meet Him. Inviting them to meet Him. So we need to pick up the pace. We're going to practice this a little bit. Take a look at your note sheet there. And as you've been thinking, you may have had some names come to mind. Who are your top three? The top three people where you live, work, and play that you most would like to see come to faith in Christ, meet Jesus for themselves. Who are they? Who are they? Just That's for you. You're not going to turn this in. Just write down their names or their initials. Immediate family, close friends, extended family, neighbors, coworkers. Hey, students, your coworkers are your classmates at school. Write down the names of everybody in every class you attend. You're close to them. God puts you there. You're on mission. You're a missionary to your school. Students reach students. That's the way that works. Your teams, the clubs you're in, the organizations in school, write down the names of those people. Who are? Write down your, your top three. You got them? Got some in mind? We're going to pray for them, and we're going to do something. We're going to practice this a little bit. Okay? Okay? Okay, let, let's, I'm, I'm going to lead you in prayer. You call their names. Lord, you have brought to mind people that we know, people that we love, people that we like, people that we want to see meet you for themselves. We pray for all of these people who've been identified already just in these last couple of minutes that your Holy Spirit would be at work in their lives convincing them of the reality of their sin, convincing them of the reality of who you are, that you are who you say you are, and of their own need 
for the righteousness that comes only through faith in You. We pray that You'd turn their hearts toward You and that You'd make them receptive to our invitations and to Your love and that they would meet You for themselves. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now here's what we're going to do. Pull out your cell phone. How many of you got my text to bring your phone? Well, that didn't work. I got to figure out. Got to figure out something else. Oh well. Oh well. No, it was a tweet. I'm sorry. This is even worse. How many of you got the tweet? Thanks, Nate. Hey, you're the only guy that retweeted. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Well, get your phone out anyway and open it up, and uh, let's send a text to your three people. Right? We're gonna. We're gonna. And here's what we're gonna do. Really, we're gonna tell them we. Just prayed for them. Not we, but you. Um, and don't just say that because some people aren't used to being prayed for. They think you only pray for people who are like really bad people. Say, why are you praying for me? I'm offended. You know. No, here's what, you're, here's what I want you to text. Line them up there, get them ready, and then text this and say, just prayed, I just prayed that God would bless you today. Is that good? Is that good? Okay. Okay, here we go. Put it in. Some, I don't have educated thumbs. Some of you do. I've just prayed that God would bless you today. Hope to see you soon or something like that. Okay, on three. You got them? We're going to send it. Ready? One, two, three, send. Okay. Now bring your cell phones next week. We're going to do something with these same three again. But you have, you have uh, identified them. You're praying for them, looking for opportunities. I'm going to encourage you to invite them. When you leave today, you're going to... See, at the door, our guest services team is going to be handing out uh, little cards, little invitations to Easter services at Dogwood. And so here's how I'm using them. You can use really simple language. When you meet somebody or one of these folks or maybe somebody spontaneously in the community, here's the language I'm using. Hey, if you, if you don't have a place to worship on Easter, we'd love, I'd love for you to come to Dogwood. Or why don't you come to Dogwood? All the information's on this card. You don't even have to put them on the spot and say, are you or are you not coming? Hey, if you don't have a place to worship this Easter, come to Dogwood. All the information's on this card. And you hand them the card. Got it? Got it? Okay. Let's, okay. Okay. Stand up. Get a partner. We're going to practice this. One, two, three, stand up. There you go. That's right. That's right. When you, stand, when you get there, you get a partner, look at me. Okay, boy, okay. Okay, we're going to start. The tallest person, the tallest person of the pair goes first. And I just want you to practice the language. Just say to them, hey, if you don't have a place to worship on Easter, why don't you come to Dogwood? It's all the information's on this card. Ready, go. Great. You may be seated. You may be seated. Just keep rehearsing that language, just like working out a muscle and... uh 
And, and, and coach, we're going to try to get them a little muscle memory here, only it's verbally, okay? Just get the language in there and use that, and we'll see, we'll see what happens. Now, some of you here are not believers in Christ. You've been hearing me go through all this and us talk about how to invite you to meet Jesus for yourself. We really want you to because of what He's done for us. Because He loved us so much that God the Father somehow arranged to come to earth in the form of a man named Jesus, live a perfect sinless life and go innocently to the cross. And there as He was dying, God the Father had arranged for all of your sin and my sin and all of our collective sin and guilt to be laid on Him, to be credited to His account. And He atoned for it. He paid the full price. He took the full brunt of the wrath of God on sin. He didn't have to. He did it because of His overwhelming love for you and me. Because He's a God who has you on His mind and He thinks about you all the time. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to be redeemed. He's a good God and a great God. And you can do so by trusting in Him, by turning, like Matthew, Levi, by turning from all of your sinful, self-driven life, leave everything behind and place your active trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. Say, Lord, would You do for me what You accomplished when You died on the cross and rose from the dead? To the best of my understanding, I'm committing myself to You. Now, if you want to do that this morning, you can do so when we pray. Here's what I want you to do after we pray. It's the most greatest thing that will ever happen to you. And there's something that's very important. It's critical that we get some information in your hand because the Bible says when we first come to Christ, we're like a newborn baby. And, and if we just turn you loose out of here, you're not going to survive. We've got some critical information in the corner at this encourager table. Some nice men and women are here. We want to put in your hand. It is essential for your spiritual survival. Those of you who are already believers know I'm right. Am I right? You've got, you got to get this information about how to begin and walk with Christ or you're not going to make it. So when the service is over, I want you to go right here to this table. They'll give you this packet of information. If you'd like to talk with them more about spiritual things, they're happy to do so. But don't miss it. Don't miss it. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to sing. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You that You've made a way for us to be forgiven, to be accepted by You, adopted as Your child, given the gift of abundant and eternal life. I pray, Lord, now that You would make us Your ambassadors where we live and work and play, beseeching people to come to faith in You, to meet You for themselves, to come to the living water, the bread of life. May it spill out of us and touch them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.